I'm not taking phone calls. Um, it's my little timer here. I'm Lisa. I am an alcoholic. I'm Lisa. I am an alcoholic. I'm Lisa. I am an alcoholic. And I say that for three reasons. And I say that for three reasons every single morning of my life. Number one, it was the most difficult decision I ever made in my life. Number two, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. And number three, I can never forget that I am an alcoholic. Right now, I really want to leave. Um, I know you were all told to stay seated, but I encourage you all to leave. Um, my friend Tom P. asked me if I would do this, and one of the things I learned from my sponsor is you never, ever refuse when you are asked to be of service. So, and Tom P., I love him. He is my surrogate brother. You'll hear why when I tell my story. Um, so, of course, I said yes. My sobriety date is July 13, 2007. I tell you that so you know that I came in the program when I was 18. <laughs> Not funny, no. I came in the program very late in life. I was 48 years old. I did have my first drunk when I was 18 years old. I went out to dinner with uh, my mother and a priest friend in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Then the drinking age was 18. I had no problem putting down that bottle of white wine. Of course, the next morning I was praying to the porcelain god. You know, I look back and think, why did I drink? And there were three significant things that occurred in my life which really got to my spirit. It caused a hole in me. Um, the first was when I was 13 years old and my father died suddenly. Went to work on Friday, had a massive heart attack and was dead on Sunday. He and I were very, very close. I'm the youngest of three adopted children. I didn't drink then, but I hurt. I hurt really bad. Went, went through high school, no problem, did not get into drugs or alcohol in high school. Went to college, and I did not drink in college. Um, one of the main reasons I didn't drink in college is I went up to St. Mary's in Notre Dame, Indiana in the late 70s. The boy-girl ratio with Notre Dame across the street was six boys to every girl. Sorry, guys. But as a girl, you don't want to lose control when you have 6,000 sexually frustrated Catholic boys across the street. <laughs> I mean, this is a program of rigorous honesty, so that, that's it. Graduated from college, became a registered nurse, got married the year after I graduated from college, moved down to New Orleans. My husband was a physician I'm, or in, in medical school. I'm a nurse. Life was fine. Drank a little bit now and then. Moved up here to Atlanta in 1985 and still didn't drink all that much. Um, but when I did drink, looking back on it, I always drank too much. Um, but didn't even, wasn't even a weekly drinker at that point. 1989 had my first son. 1990 had my second son. I had a life that just about any woman would really want. I was married. I had two kids. I had a house. I had a car. I had a job. What more could I want? But in 1989, the next thing just really hit me. We'd been married, what, about mm, seven years, had the two kids, and we're starting to grow apart. And I said to my husband one night, I said, you know, Henry, we really need to work on our marriage. It's, we're, we're growing apart, and my fear is that we're going to get divorced. And his response was, yeah, we are growing apart, 
However, we're going to have to put our marriage on the back burner. My career is getting ready to take off. Well, that pain came back, and so what did I do? I started to drink. Do I blame that man for my drinking? Absolutely not. I chose to drink. I chose to drink as much as I wanted. The problem was I am an alcoholic. So when my drinking started to pick up, two glasses of wine wasn't enough. Three glasses of wine wasn't enough. The pain was gone, and I was still drinking. And that continued. I I was probably drinking two, two and a half glasses of wine a day, which really wasn't a whole lot. But I had obsessive thinking. I thought about it all day, and I could not wait until 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I could get home from work. And it was okay to drink because I was just fixing dinner. Life was good. 1989, the next hard thing happened in my life, and my 47-year-old brother died of cancer. And he and I were also very close, and I was with him when he died. And that's when I refer to Tom. Now Tom is now my surrogate brother. God bless Tom. And I came home from, from being up in Ohio for a while. I had, my sons were in their you know, early teens, and I hurt, and I was empty. And in 1989, my drinking just absolutely took off. I was up to a bottle to two bottles a day, but I didn't really think I was an alcoholic because I drank wine with a cork in it. I didn't drink screw-top wine, so I wasn't an alcoholic. And if you looked at me on the outside and you looked at my home and you came to my house for any holiday or dinner, I had it together. But I was an absolute wreck inside. i got to check my time just a minute. Okay. All right, so there I am. It's 1989, 1990. Things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. I think I have a drinking problem. I go to an addiction specialist, and she encourages me to go to AA. Well, let me back up. I started going to psychiatrists, but of course I wasn't honest. He put me on antidepressants. Antidepressants and alcohol equals more depression. For any of you that tried it, I tried it, and that's what happened. So I ended up going to AA in October of 2006. But I did what I call the Piccadilly approach to AA, cafeteria approach. See, I never got a DUI. Of course, I drive while intoxicated at least 150 times. Please never caught me. I still had a house, and I was drinking that wine with a cork in it, so I wasn't as bad as the people in the room. I would come there, and I would leave, and I would say I'm different than most of those people in the room, except I drink a little bit too much. But I kept going. Well, after two and a half months of not drinking, my company sent me down to Orlando for a conference. Now, what does a good alcoholic do or a woman that has a drinking problem? She's out on a business dinner. She hasn't had a drink in two and a half months. She thinks just one will be fine. Four glasses of wine, two glasses of Sambuca, two Cognacs later, I have to get from a restaurant in Orlando back to my hotel. Well, I did it. Now, you'd think that would be enough. No. I continued to drink for the next six months. What finally got me back into these rooms, you know, I thought I was a real unselfish drinker because I drank at home. And I was there if my sons needed me. What I know now is if I had to take them to the hospital and I got pulled over, a DUI would be nothing compared to if I had gotten child endangerment. And I've been told if you think fighting a DUI is hard, try fighting child endangerment. That's even harder. 
couple times I would go out, and my, my place was Ted's Montana Grill at the farm because that wasn't a real bar. But all those guys at that bar, they knew me well. My, my wine was poured before I even sat down. When they ran, were running out of my favorite wine, they hid three bottles in the back for me so when I would come in. So I left one Friday night having four glasses of wine. There were a bunch of families in the restaurant. You know what that place is like. And I had to hold on to the chairs when I was walking out. Did that stop me? No. I drove across the parking lot to Jay Alexander's, had two more glasses of wine. Then I drove home. I got home. I walked into my house. I walked upstairs. My two sons, now 18 and 17, are at the top of the stairs. And do you know what they did? They patted me on the back as I stumbled to my bedroom. I got in bed, and when the bed stopped spinning, I started to cry. Cried many nights when I went to bed drunk, but this night was different. I then started to sob. And the reason I sobbed is I was playing that video back, and I encourage anyone to, to play that video back of one of your worst drunks. And I played that video back of a middle-aged woman leaving Ted Montana Grill, drunk off her you-know-what. I was now a woman I did not respect. And more importantly, I was a mother my sons did not deserve. The most important job I will ever have in my life till the day I take my last breath and the only job that I want to succeed at in life is being a mother. My, I was blessed with my two sons and they deserve to have the best mother. That next night, I went back to my home group, which was in Sweetwater, and I picked up my second white ship. And I went up to a woman and I asked her to be my sponsor. I did have a sponsor before, but I had one of those, like, you know, free-ranging kind of, I free-ranged with her. <laughs> but I asked another woman to be my sponsor, and she said I would be honored. Honored. Someone would be honored to deal with me. I felt like I was dirt. And that's when I had, I would say, my first spiritual experience, because I really felt I had hope. But I did something real differently this time. I absolutely surrendered. I quit questioning the program, and I made a vow to do whatever this woman told me to do. And this is what she told me to do. She told me I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I thought I was too important to do that. But I sure as heck drank more than an hour and a half a day. She told me I had to get other phone numbers. I did that, and I called these women whether I wanted to or not, so that I would begin having a relationship with sober women in the program. Now, here's the next thing. P, pray. She told me I had to talk to God. She told me I had to ask God to help me in every single decision, including what to wear for work in the morning. I thought she was absolutely a nutcase, but I did it. And this is how it works. I'd go in my closet and I'd say, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear? Now that doesn't seem like a big problem. And the mind just starts going and you, you know, I love my friend Rusty and some of you know Rusty and I, and I have to quote him. And this was me. Rusty says an alcoholic is the only person that pole vaults over a rat turd. That was me. No, God didn't tell me to put a white blouse on with a gray skirt, but by me stopping, and pausing when I'm agitated, which is like on page 86 or say 87 in the big book, but I didn't know that then, I could make those decisions. And now I pause. So she told me I had to pray, and I prayed every morning, and I thanked God every night. She told me I had to work the program, and she took me through the 12 steps. My first year of sobriety was absolutely hell. 
That husband left me after 26 years. My mother, who I was very close to, died. And my son, who I absolutely adored, got arrested for possession of marijuana, and I had to help him guide through his, his um, legal issues. But I could do that because I was a sober woman. And then the fifth thing I did is I got a sponsor, as I said. So that's what I did that first day, first year. And what do I do now? What do I do now when I feel that pain? And I do feel that pain. Life does go on. And this is what I do. I do what I call mopping my program. I go to meetings. Do I go to a meeting every day? No, I don't, but I go to at least four a week. Oh, others. I talk to other women in the program, but when I call other people now, I don't call to bellyache about my day. I call to ask them about their day. I sponsor women. I reach out to women. And when I'm asked to do service work, I do it. P, I pray. I thank God every morning, and I thank God every night. And even though I had trouble with that higher power, and I say to anybody out there, if you have trouble about this higher power stuff, I say that it's absolutely baloney, and this is why it's baloney. It's baloney because if you call yourself an alcoholic, you've had a higher power for a heck of a long time. Your higher power was alcohol. My higher power was alcohol. So all you have to do to get that higher power, to do that pee, that pray, is to get out of yourself. Whether it's the room, the program. I know a woman that got her higher power for the first two years of her sobriety was Yoda. So there is no excuse. The fourth P is program, and I work that program. And when I'm having a bad day, I go to page 86 and 87. I read acceptance, page 417 in the fourth, direct, fourth edition. I read freedom from bondage, where it tells me that I need to pray. I had to pray. My sponsor told me I had to pray for that ex-husband. And when I called her and I was real proud of myself, and I said, well, I pray for his life insurance, she said, no, Lisa. <laughs> That is not what you need to do. You need to pray for him. So I do work my program. And the reason I do that is this. And I think that's probably close to 15 minutes. Let me check. Oh, 14 minutes and two seconds? I'm such a good alcoholic. (laughs) The reason I do that is I have a life now that I am not willing to sacrifice for anything. I have a wonderful man in my life, and the only reason he's not here is he also does service work. And he was asked late yesterday to go be the chairperson at a a meeting over in Dunwoody. I can handle problems, which used to baffle me. I don't have all the things I had ten years ago, but I have so much more right now. Because I have peace within my heart. And I'm not willing to jeopardize that at all. And most importantly, what I have right now, I have the respect of those two sons. They are now 23, and my youngest just turned 22 on the 20th. And the two of them are together at University of Wilmington. I flew the oldest one out there to have celebrate their birthday, his birthday. So why would I change it? So if I continue to mock meetings, others, prayer, program, and sponsor. And I do that just for today. And I have to do it every day. It doesn't matter what I did last week. It just matters what I do today. Then I have the chance to stay sober. Because even though I have five years, guess what? I just have today. And if I don't do it today, then in two to three weeks, I will be drinking again. And I wouldn't change my life for anything. So, yes, I am Lisa. And I am an alcoholic.